0: Our I am series. This is the this is the second to last I am statement in the Gospel of John, and uh, this is one of my one of my favorites personally. Uh, and It is one that I've preached on like several different times in, in like one certain way. So I'm going to try not to do that today. Usually I kind of focus on one statement that he makes that no one gets to God except through Jesus. And, and I kind of talk about the exclusivity of Jesus and, and how that's kind of a big deal. But I, w- I want to zoom out a little bit today and talk about it from within the context of the conversation he's having with some of his disciples and why I think the re- why you know what I think the significance is in relationship to that whole conversation. Uh, does that make sense? So so that's what we're going to be doing today. Um, so real quick, just to dive in. Here's my you know here's my story to kind of ground us in what I want to be talking about today. Um, at the be- in the beginning of October. Jason, uh, Brad, and I went on a hunting trip with Jason's dad. And, and the first day we got there, we saw this. Maybe I even brought this up at church. We saw this uh, this meadow at the bottom of the valley. And, and I think Jason, you saw the meadow, right? You spotted it. And uh, I was like, man, we got to go to that meadow. There's got to be there's got to be deer down in that meadow. Like, we got to go. And so we don't go for like the next few days. But the last day, we, the last night, we decide to go. And it's this really cool drive to get in there. And then, and then we had to hike a ways in after that. And then we get to a spot where we're like a You know, we're we're right next to a a creek and on the other side, this is the meadow. And and Brad's got the idea that we're gonna hike up this ledge. So if we're walking into the meadow, this way, meadow's over here, here's our road, here's the ledge. Brad's got this idea that we're gonna hike up this ledge. So he just turns into Mr. Billy Goat and just starts walking (laughs) up this, like like almost 90 degree angle. No, it's not that, but it was pretty steep, right? Like if you're out on a hike, you wouldn't look at this ledge and be like, oh yeah, I could hike that. You're like, no, I'm gonna stay off that. But we just go up it. But what results in it is we got this amazing view of this meadow. All right, we're sitting there, and, and here's, a, here's a hunting term I learned: we're glassing it, right? So you're looking at it. Fred and Jason are like, man, you weirdo. Uh, we're looking at it through our, you know, binoculars, and, and we're, we're hoping to see some kind of deer wander wandering the meadow. And so, man, I'm gonna t- man this was, it was beautiful. And so, what we got to witness that night is we're there like right at sunset, and you can see the sun slowly setting, light slowly leaving this valley, and as that's happening. We see this. Uh, well, they see this, this herd of elk wander into the meadow. It's not. We're not hunting elk. We're hunting deer, right? So it's like, okay, dang. But this herd of elk wander into the meadow, and and the male elk let, let, lets out its, its call. It's bugle, right? Did I get that? Term? It's bugle. And it was like this serene moment, right? Where it's just gorgeous, and we're sitting there watching this herd of elk. And I was like, man, this is this is incredible. It's beautiful. This is serene. What, I mean, it's like, man, who else is getting to do something like this right now? Probably a lot of people. But, you know, it feels like not a lot of people. It's like, this is a really cool experience we're getting to have right now. Uh, the, the sun sets. It's dark. We need to get out of there. They're hightailing it cause, you know, they, we don't want to get eaten by, like, a cougar. So I'm, like, trying to keep up. <laughs> and, you know, it's, so, it's, it's amazing as that experience was. As we're going back to the truck, and even as we're there throughout the week, I talked to Jason, you know, Jason and I talked a little bit about this. There's... As, as amazing as that experience was, truly, like, incredible, there's this feeling in the back of my head that, like, man, I want to go home. And not, like, the pouty, you I want to go home, but, like, you know, I just, <laughs> I want to be home. Like, I want to be with my wife, I want to be with my son, I, I want to be in our living room, and, it, like, I want to be home. That feeling. And, and I think, what, so what, what we're going to look at here today is that Jesus wants us to come home. And I think in a really interesting way, you can look at the narrative of the Bible with this lens. It's the story of God wanting us to come home with him. It's the story of God laying out creation, laying out like, and trying to get us from the garden when we were with him in just total unity and peace and perfection and amazing sin in the world and everything since then has been God wanting us to come home. And so I think we have this feeling in us that we want to be home. And I actually think that's a lot deeper than just like our immediate family and just like, you know, our actual house. Like I think there's a lot, something much deeper there. Man, I think God is, is trying to pull us back home. And, and that's where I see Jesus really, that's what I see his disciples thinking of here. That's where I see Jesus really investigating here. And so when he says what he's about to say. So that's the point today. Jesus wants us home. So, let's start in John chapter first, uh, chapter 13, verse 36. This is a little bit before, but I just want to, you know, set this up. Because we're going we're to see three disciples interacting with Jesus. We're going to see Peter, then, then Thomas, and then Philip. And, and we're, we'll just break those down, <clears throat> break these interactions down. So, John chapter 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Uh, okay, I'm going to stop there. Sorry. I know you're probably like, come on, Daniel. Uh so this is um, immediately after what's called the Upper Room Discourse. Okay, that's where Jesus is talking with his disciples and he's washing their feet. It's the Last Supper, and, 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 and so they're just coming out of that whole interaction, and it says that Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, now it doesn't seem like Peter knows where Jesus is going, so like they're just kind of following him, and so and so Peter's like, man, where are you? Where are we going? Like it's 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 like it's the night. Like what are we doing? Where are you going? And Jesus answers with this, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Okay. And so Peter's thinking, man, like right now, where are you going? What are we doing? Jesus responds with something a little bit bigger picture. He's like, hey, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. You will later, but you can't follow me now. Now I want you to Put yourself in the shoes of Peter here real quick because they've been with him for years at this point and had built a, a community around Jesus, right? A family around Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus is, and he's like been dropping this for a while and he's saying, hey, look, I am i am leaving and you're not going to be able to follow me. So just imagine how Peter might be feeling here and he won't be able to. So that explains why he would respond with, with this in verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So here we have that thing. It, it's so Peter's like, man, I want to go with you now. And so Jesus responds to something a little bit bigger picture, like you will one day, but not now. OK. And so but he follows this up. And so that's where this whole interaction starts is, is responding to something that, you know, Peter was saying. So in chapter 14, verse one, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Also believe in me. And so he's saying, look, I, I, can, I can tell you're, you're feeling troubled about this. You want to be with me. You want to follow me. But you're feeling shut because you can't right now. We're about to be, but don't worry, because here's what he says right after. But don't worry, verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you myself, that where I am going you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So Jesus says, don't worry, there are many rooms in this house, and I'm going to come back, I'm going to take you, and you're going to be where I am. And so so Peter has this longing, I want to be with you, Jesus. And I think Jesus responds to tapping into this core feeling that we have. I mean, I want to feel home, I want to be at home, I want to be in home. And and, and Jesus says, don't worry, I'm coming, and I I will bring you home. You will come home with me one day. You will come with me. And so he says, and you know the way to get there. Okay, this is where Thomas comes in. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? So so Thomas is still kind of on this, you know, as is, 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 uh, I think we've described it a couple of times, the disciples are on one channel, Jesus is on another channel, talking about something else. So Thomas is still... Down here, he says, man, how can we know where you're going? You still have not told, like, you know, Peter's like, look, where are we going? And Jesus says, man, no, you can't follow me now. Thomas is like, man, you still haven't told us. I don't know how to get there. You still haven't told us where you're going. What are you talking about? So that's when Jesus comes back with, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him. And have seen him. And so Jesus trying to comfort his disciples saying, "Look, well, man, you know the way. And Thomas is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and Jesus is like, I am the way. And so when you have that feeling of, man, I want to be home, I, I, I want to go home, Jesus is saying, I am the way home. I am the truth in how you get home. I am the life that is home. I am the way to get there. And so Jesus says, I am the answer to that longing that we all Feel wanting to be home, and so let's just take it a few seconds. Let me, let's talk about the way. So Jesus says He is the way. So Jesus is the answer to this grand narrative that's playing out throughout the Bible, starting in Eden when sin entered the world and fractured our, our relationship with God, right? You have you in the law, then there's the patriarchs, and then there was uh, the kings, and and now Jesus comes. He's saying, "Look, man, I'm I'm the way back to God. This is it. I'm the answer." So Jesus is the way. Now, the thing is, this is an exclusivity claim. Like, Jesus is saying, I am the way home. There isn't another way home. I'm it. If you don't come my way, you're not going home. If you don't follow me, you're not getting home. And so we do have to grapple with that. And we have to be honest about that, because this is where I think he attacks a lot of what would kind of be our our modern-day sensibilities. It's like, oh, man, people are fine. Like, it's going to be fine. Those these people are fine, or they're saying I'm good. We'll figure it out. It's like, well, no. If you don't have Jesus, you're really not good. If you're not following Jesus, no, you're not going to get home. Like you're not going to get to God. I, I am. I, I am it. I'm the way. When he says I, I am the truth, like man, he is the truth of God. Like Jesus has the truth. We we were uh, um, uh, me, Jason, uh, Brian, and Dennis. We were having a Bible studies last week, and, and we were talking about this idea of Jesus saying he's the Logos, right? That's in John 1. He is the word. That kind of word, word for word is logos. And what that word means, it's like literally the personification of, of, a, of, a, of an idea. Jesus is the literal personification of God's, of everything that Jesus is in. And so Jesus calls this truth. He's the only way. We have to accept that truth. But of course, then Jesus says he is. The life. And I want to spend a little bit more time here talking about how Jesus is the life. Because I think, yes, Jesus is the life for eternity when we go to our final home in heaven, yes. I think he's also the life now. We also get a, a taste of, of being home right here, right now on earth. It's not the final home. We won't. We're not really going to be home until we're in heaven. But he gives us this taste of being home right now. And I, I think there's a few different ways he does this. And I think I mean I mean there's several ways that he's the life now. But I'm going to talk about two ways that I think are relevant for us in this passage about Jesus wanting us to come home. I think one, he gives us a home right now. Now we've preached on this idea a lot, but Paul says then in Ephesians that the church is the household of God. We're the family of God. And so one way that Jesus gives us a home right now is he gives us this, church. Amen. And so just think about that that word church for a minute because like we start associating all these different ideas and thoughts and feelings with the word church. And what really what Jesus is trying to do is, is he's trying to say, this is home. Church is your household right now here on earth. You can't be in heaven, but you can be in church. You can be in this community. And there really isn't a fancy There's really not like a fancy thing going on behind that Greek word for church. It literally means community. Like, that's it. People try to do fancy stuff with it. But all it is is Jesus saying, you you guys are my community. You're my group. This is it. And so I think you've got to ask yourself, how do I view church? How do I think about what we're doing here on Sunday mornings? How do I think about what we do on on Wednesday nights at our family groups? What what is this to me? Do, Do I treat it like it's home? Or am I anxious to get out of here so I can go back to my earthly home, right? Do I want to invest in this like it's my family, like it's my home? Or am I just trying to check this off so I can go do the stuff that I really want to do? Like, do I view this as home?
1: Because
0: that's what God's trying to set up with this community, with this church. He's trying to set up a household here on earth. Not our final home, but a home that we can have now. That we can view this in Feel this, like like this is our home. That when we get to come to church on Sunday, or go to family group on Wednesday, or get together with disciples throughout the week, it's like, man, I get to, I'm I'm getting to go home when I do this. That's how I, that's how I want us to feel when we come in. So if you're not feeling that way, we just talk about that. Because I think that's the second thing, that's the second way Jesus gives us a life right now. I I looked at this scripture uh, last time I preached, but I want to do it again. Go to um, Hebrews chapter 4 with me. Because I think the second way that Jesus gives us life right now, okay, yes, he gives us a home here on earth right now in the the family of God, in the church, but but another very real tangible way he gives us life right now is he gives us security. So he gives us home and he gives us security. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, for we do uh, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who is tempted in every way that we are yet uh, that we are yet was without sin let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we talk about Jesus being a sympathetic high priest. No matter what we're going through in life, Jesus has felt it, He's <coughs> been there, and that's what enables him to get down on his knees right next to us and say, I'm with you. I get it. I'm right here with you. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, man, if that's our high priest, we have confidence to approach him, to approach the throne, to approach God confidence that we can run into the cross and, and, and run into Jesus and run dive into relationships and just being honest with who we are we have, we have confidence to do that Proverbs 20 and 13, I'll just read it real quick um, says I, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy this word prosper in Hebrew I mean, it's a really cool word it's like, like living. It's, it's like things working in life. If we conceal our sins, if we're not being honest with who we are and what we're working through, our life kind of stops. We get stagnant. and Your heart starts to harden. And you start to experience less, less life. And like that. But when you just open up about these things, and so here's the thing, we've got to take these two in tandem. This, this, the security in, in, in this household of God. we got to put them together because if we have a group like this, but we're not being honest with each other about who we are and where we're at and what we're feeling, it's like, well, what are you doing? It's like if I go home and Stacey asks me how I'm doing and I just say, fine, I don't actually tell her what I'm thinking and feeling. What's going to happen to that relationship over time? It's going to break down. There's going to be lack of communication. It's the same thing in your guys and guys. We're not really kind of working through things and talking Here, so actually here's what i really love about thomas's question. He's like, man, Lord, we don't, sorry, I'm going to, I just want to re-look re, re, re at this in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, uh, we do not know where you are going. How can we know why? And so Thomas actually, he ended up getting a bad rap somehow. He, he eventually got the nickname Doubting Thomas because he would ask questions like this. Or when Jesus came in person, Thomas was like, man, I don't know it's really you, right? And so now we, now we, Jesus, or Thomas has the same Doubting Thomas, but here's the thing about him working through that doubt as he says, man, I have no idea what you're talking about. Because he was honest enough with Jesus to ask that question, Jesus responded with one of the most incredible statements about who he is and it's recorded in the in the Bible. So what would have happened if Thomas wasn't honest about like this question? He didn't get what was going on. Then yeah. Jesus wouldn't have said that. It's like, okay, at the end of the day, I think God would have given us the truth he would have wanted us to have. But my point is if you're not honest about where you're at with who you are, you're missing a chance to learn. And you're missing a chance to grow. And you're missing a chance to experience honest life because that's when real amazing community starts happening. When you, feel like it's family and you treat it like it's family. You don't treat it like it's some random get-together once, twice a week or a social club. It's like, man, this is home Yeah. because I can be honest and open and I can expect mercy and grace and forgiveness. It takes all of us working together to, to make that happen. And so if we're not embracing relationships with God and with each other with this kind of security, this kind of openness, you will waste away. You will not prosper you will stagnate. There's a lot at stake here. Mm -hmm. So I think this is how Jesus gives us life right now, is by giving us security to approach him and the home to experience that security in. There's life right now. Let's keep moving into verse 8, chapter 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Themselves. It's okay. So Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." And from now on, uh, you you you've seen and you know God because you see and you know Me. And Philip says, "Just show us God, and that'll be enough for me." Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, "Philip, are you serious? You've been with Me for three years. Let me check that out. You you how how have been with You so long, and You still don't know Me?" Okay, look, when I read that, I, like, wake up a little bit when I'm reading it. Because Philip just spent three years with Jesus in person. And Jesus said, you don't know me? So you can be, look, you can be here in this room right now. You can be reading your Bible, not experiencing the person of Jesus, and you can still not know Jesus. That's the whole reason why we're doing this entire series is because we want us to know Jesus. If you know Jesus, the whole premise behind this is if you know Jesus, it will change you, and your life will be different. So here's a question you've got to grapple with. Do I know Jesus? Do I approach my relationship with the Bible, with this, that like I'm I'm coming to know who Jesus is? I just don't want to know about him, or I don't want it to be an accessory (laughs) on my life, but I'm here because I want to know who Jesus is. Because Philip spent three years with him, and Jesus is like, look, man, you've been with me for this long, and you don't know me. Mm -hmm. Now, look, I'm not trying to sit here and dog Philip. What I am trying to do is say, okay, we can be like that. We can be around this and still treat it on a surface level. And it's like, look, I've talked about this so many times. It's like, then it's like, why are you doing it? (laughs) Okay, so I don't want to be too harsh on that. because, like, okay, if that's where you're at, it's like, okay, that's where Philip was at. It's like, just dive in and know and be honest. It's like, you can just talk. I don't, you just say, hey, I don't really know why I'm coming. I'm just kind of going through the motions. Or I don't really know if I'm feeling like intimate with my relationship with Jesus right now. I don't really know. Just talk. Embrace the security in the home that Jesus wants to give you. Okay, so what do we do? Um, I think one, and if I, I'm just going to take our practical say out of this last paragraph that we read. I think one, we need to see Jesus for who he really is. Jesus is a big deal. Jesus describes himself in here as like, look, you say shows the Father, but like I'm am, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. Like Jesus is a big deal. He's not just some cool teacher with some good lessons. Jesus is the exact representation of God according to Hebrews. So one thing we have to do constantly is we like the other things that through the rest of our lives as disciples we're gonna have to work on. And you know, One of them is remembering that Jesus is a big deal. Yeah. Like Jesus wasn't just some good teacher, but Jesus is God in the flesh. What we're a part of right now isn't just some social club once, twice a week gathering. It's worshiping God like Jesus is a big deal. These aren't just cruel, nice lessons with some good morals. I mean, like they are, but it's bigger than that. It's Jesus trying to reveal through himself being the logos, trying to reveal the design for life as we know it. Try to reveal what we really all want at the end of the day. It's Him and God. We have to constantly remind ourselves, man, Jesus is a big deal. The second thing is we got we have to believe him. Right? And so I, I think I think this kind of combines with approaching the throne in confidence. Here's something I want you to try try doing sometime. I want you to try when you read the Bible, just make a note whenever Jesus makes a promise about mm-hmm. something. And I want you to ask yourself, do you believe that promise? He makes uh, one promise here in chapter 14, one that I can that maybe you can find. Well, okay, in this paragraph, there's several. But there's like a lot in 14, actually. Uh, but in verse 3, he makes a promise. And he says, and if, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll, I'll come again and take you myself. That where I'm going, you may be with me also. That's a promise. He just said, I'm, I'm going to go make a place for you, and I'm going to bring you back, and you're going to come with me. And one really interesting question that I like to ask myself is, does my life reflect that I believe that promise? Do I believe that at the end of the day I'm going to go home? This, this, this isn't it. I'm going to be home with Jesus one day. Does my life reflect that I believe that he's going to come back and take me? That's just one. I mean, try that out sometime you read the Bible. Just make a note if you see a promise and ask yourself, do you believe it? Because uh, and I know Brian likes to mention this, but you know what's what is it to do the will of God? Is to believe in what He sins, To believe in Jesus. That's what it is. To do the will of God is believe in Jesus, right? And, and there's all these you know, you know there's all these like dichotomies you can post. Like if you really believe in Him, you'll actually do these things. It's like yeah, you could do all that. But the work I want to give us is just to ask you guys, do you believe? But do you believe in Jesus? Mm-hmm. You believe who He says He is? As we read all these I Am statements, do you believe that He actually is those things? And one way you can test that is if your life reflects that you believe it or not. Because we've gone over it over and over in the Bible. When there's genuine faith, your life is going to reflect. So just ask yourself, Do I believe in Jesus? So that's my sermon for today, guys. I want us to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And at the end of the day, there's this grand narrative being spun by the Bible that God wants us to come home with Him. He wants us to experience home with Him. Yes, in heaven, but also right now, He wants us to experience home you Believe that is your life reflected. Thank you guys, appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you <laughs> is <that big> dog? <laughs> my name new, new Big Dog.
1: Come on, Big Dog. Big, come on, dog. big, dog. big, big dog, come on. Better than a little poodle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was my nickname in uh, grade school. What was that, a little puddle? Oh. Oh. Uh, I want to thank uh, Daniel for that lesson yeah that uh, was an awesome lesson I get the opportunity to share a little bit about communion today and you know the scripture I had picked out um, really I feel like um, me- uh, merges very well with what Daniel's talking about and one thing I would just say about communion is this is between you and God ultimately of anything there is you do your quiet time you know even within the church body communion is a ref- between you and God You know, you have given yourself a pledge Of a good conscience towards God When you became a disciple of Christ But now when you take communion It's really a reflection Of a conversation In your head and your heart with you and God And so the scripture I was going to share With you, and I know you guys have heard this scripture many times uh, Is in John chapter 1, starting in verse 14 And the word became Flesh and dwelt among us and We saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Skipping down to verse 16, and this is a a literal uh, translation. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. And this is the line I really, really love here. He has explained it. And to Daniel's point, when you look at Jesus, Jesus came and one of the biggest things Jesus came to do was to explain God. To know Jesus is to know God. To know Jesus is to know the fullness of grace upon grace. To know Jesus is to know truth right? And I've I heard this years ago, and I've always said it, is all grace is apathy. If all you give is grace to somebody, you're just giving apathy. Mm-hmm. If all you think you're doing is giving truth to a person, it's aggression. Mm-hmm. But grace and truth together in their fullness is, is is the powder impact, and all of that is found in Jesus Christ. Right? They have Iron and, and carbon. What do those two put together? What do they create, guys? Steel. So wherever Jesus is, there's just not grace. There's just not truth. There's the fullness of both. And so as you enter into your communion relationship with God and you think about this, tell yourself the truth. Yeah, there may there may be sins in your life that are really hard. Right, But in the scripture, and right before the scripture, he says that you are a child of his. That he's got you. That he's looking out for you. And in Jesus, and in the communion, communion is not so much, I think, about the cross, which was a horrible thing. It's about the resurrection. The truth of the resurrection in your life. The things that you want changed in your life can be changed through Jesus Christ. But not just with grace but with truth. Yeah. Yeah. you got to tell yourself the truth about certain things you don't want to hear about, but also about the truths that God says who you are in Him. Mm-hmm. That He's predestined you to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. That who can stand against you if He is looking out for you. Right. That He has loved you so much that he is willing to give up his greatest his greatest possession, his son. So you know that. As a parent, I think it's a very difficult thing because our kids don't get us. <laughs> they don't understand. And frankly, oftentimes in parenting, we parent out of fear. We are always acting out of fear. I, I mean, I would say 90% of it. God parents out of faith and love. But I think he is afraid for us sometimes because of the lies we tell ourselves and the lack of grace we'll give to ourselves, but more importantly, also the lack of grace we'll give to others. So reflect as you take the body that was broken for you on the grace that was given to you. Reflect on as you take the, the juice, the blood that was spilled for you, on the truth that continues to be poured on. It. And accept them with submission and humility within your heart. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the just um, for Daniel's lesson uh, about going home. Um, and Lord, I do not feel like I'm at home in this world. Um, I, I long to be with you, but then I worry sometimes. Am I measuring up? Am I doing enough? And then my fears turn into just insecurities. My insecurities turn into actions. That are hurtful to myself and to those who I love, and then I wonder if I have relationship with you, and that I'm doing enough or have done enough to be right with you. God, I pray that all of us are reminded that you've done the work. Yes. Lord, remind us of Jesus that you have chosen us, and He has chosen us, and that when we see Him, we see you, and that you love us fully, and that you will bring to the fruition the work that you started in each one of us. God, resurrect our passion for your blood. Resurrect our passion for your word. Resurrect our lives to bring glory to you in all things. Jesus Christ, the may pray. Amen.